Good to see all of you tonight. If you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to pick up in verse 8. This will be the third study in our Great Heroes of Faith series. There will be a fourth. This chapter is one of those chapters that once you get into it, you, you realize the depth of the Old Testament witness of Christ. Because ultimately all of these people, whether it's Abraham or we're going to get to Isaac and Jacob, whether you look at those of us who are alive today, all of us, as we've already seen, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It takes faith to walk as a Christian in this world. It has always taken faith to please God. We're going to get to Moses relatively shortly. And I don't know if you've ever pondered Moses, and when we get to him, we're going to talk about this a little bit. But think of where Moses was. He was in Pharaoh's court. He could have just said, hey, this is good. Sometimes the greatest definition of faith that we experience in our lives is stepping out of our comfort zones. Maybe even giving up some of the things that you know, we once held dear. Letting go of some of the things that most people would consider a blessing. And that's not to say that for everybody, you go out and sell all of your goods and go give them to the poor. That's not the point. But the point is, is that anything that takes the place of the need for faith in God is trouble for us. And we have to be willing to let go of any of those things. And so we continue tonight. We're going to pick up with the story of Abraham. I pray the Lord would just speak to us. And as I was studying this afternoon, I'm just going, nobody shows up, Lord. I'm going to sit in the closet and preach this one to myself. Because this is one that I need to hear. This is, the, this is perhaps for me one of the greatest characters in all of Scripture and probably for me the most trouble because I'm a lot like Abraham. I have faith, but there are times when that faith wanes. There are times when it's like, Lord, I know you're there, but I'm going to do it my way anyway. I know none of you do that, but just sharing with you my personal walk of and journey of faith. And so before we get into the word tonight, let's pray. Father, for each of us, increase our faith. Lord, help us to walk by that faith and not by sight. Lord, it's so easy to deceive ourselves. Lord, we, we have to be doers of the word and we can't just be hearers. And so God, we pray that you'd speak to us tonight. Encourage us, bless us, strengthen us. Lord, unwrap some great gift for us tonight of faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 8 here in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Notice what it does not say. It doesn't say that Abraham had a clue where he was going. It doesn't say he had a plan. There were no travel arrangements made. There weren't any golden tickets. 
And furthermore, it doesn't even say he's actually going to get the inheritance. He says, ultimately, it will be as an inheritance. That's faith. That's stepping out of your comfort zone. That's trusting God for who God is. And that's being willing to go even when you don't know where you're going. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham here becomes the focal point of much of the rest of the book, actually, when you think about the role of faith in the life of the church and in us specifically. Uh, Genesis records much about his life. There in chapter 15, uh, Hebrews has already mentioned him in chapter 6. And so uh, Abraham kind of is the backdrop, and Paul uses him as an example in Romans chapter 4. James uses him as an example uh, in James chapter 2. Abraham becomes really the, the poster person for faith. And yet here he is, relatively comfortable. He's going to leave his homeland. He's going to, going to take off from the, the Ur of the Chaldees. He's going to go to Haran. He's going to leave there, and he's going to make a 1,200-mile journey across some of the nastiest desert on the planet Earth, believing that someplace out there on foot with camels Walking across the desert, a dry, dusty wasteland. Next time you want, to, you want to see exactly how far this journey is, just go from the center of Iraq to almost near the coast of Israel. And look at what lies out there. Not one river, not one lake, lots of sand, and a whole bunch of nothing. And so when Abraham started walking, so to speak, he could see no further than the next sand dune. And it's a lesson for us as the body of Christ. I think sometimes when God reveals too much to us, we begin to build the story ourselves. That's my propensity. Sometimes when I have just a little bit of inkling of what God's doing, all of a sudden I've got all the bits and pieces and tidbits filled in. I've got it figured out. I know exactly what God's going to do. And so, in essence, I stop trusting God. And to some degree, I'm prone to stop listening to God at times. And it's not a conscious choice. It's the difference between walking by faith and walking by sight. Or walking by spreadsheets, or walking by plans, or walking by the details that you already know, or walking by circumstance. And so, the Lord uses this incredible man of faith to speak to each of us. Because of us, as I said before, as we began this chapter, real faith demands action. Real faith demands action. You, you can't say that you have real faith and then just simply sit on your hands. You, you can't say that you have real faith and wait for God to confirm that faith. If you have real faith, you step out in faith. You move. You go. You do something with it. You can see that, in essence, in your initial uh, coming to the Lord in that relationship with Him. You know, I, I, I'm pretty sure none of you got, you know, like a, circum, uh, a certificate from heaven when you said yes to Jesus. Amen? No mighty hand reached down from heaven with a certificate. You're now saved. It didn't ha if it happened to you, I'd like to see it because I want to know how God's handwriting looks. No, it doesn't happen. You receive Christ by faith. 
and you begin to walk, and then all of a sudden those things begin to unfold in your life, which bear witness to the fact that you're actually saved. Things change. You have a hunger for the things of God. All of a sudden his word starts to make sense to you. Things that you didn't understand before, you now understand. So you begin that walk of faith without seeing where you're going. You can't see heaven. You can't see Jesus. All you know is there's a first step to be made. And that first step will lead to subsequent steps. Abraham, at this time, he's going to move to a new home. He, he's going to be a father in his old age. He, he was willing to obey God's command to take this son that's going to be born to him, to he and Sarah, when he's a 100 and she's 90, and he is so convinced of God's capable hands to, to fulfill prophecy, he says, I, I'm even willing to put this young lad to death, even if it means you've got to raise him from the dead to keep your promise. That's a man of faith. Abraham was seen in, in that type of faith in his obedience there in Genesis 12. He trusted in God's promises and his greater blessings that would be there in the future, even though he had no logical reason to do so. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment about the difference between logic and right thinking and faith. Because they're not necessarily enemies. But logic and reason does not equal faith. And you need to understand that. Because there are all kinds of things that are logical and reasonable, and if you add them together, the two and two make four. But that may not necessarily be walking by faith. There are times when God wants to take one and one and make it 573. And there are times when God wants to take one and one and it's still zero. God does what God does because he's God and he's sovereign. And he doesn't need to check in with you to do that. And he doesn't need to check in with me to do that. We walk by faith. Now, sometimes you're able to think through some of the things that God does. And sometimes the things that God does, he does in purely a logical order. But God also works outside of logic, and God also works outside of your ability to understand, know, and think. And he does mine too. This church is an example of that. When we were told we didn't have a place to go from the other building, this place had been for sale for $1.3 million. That was so far out of our price range that there was no amount of thinking that was going to make that happen. There was no amount of financial planning that was going to make that happen. The only thing that can make that happen is the elders of the church got together and prayed, and we said, God, if you want this to, to be the church, then we're going to have to offer half of that, and they're going to have to accept it. Didn't make a bit of sense. It already turned down more than that. And yet when we offered that offer, he took it. The second step of faith was when we made that offer on this property, instead of it being... 1.2 and a half, 1.3 million dollars. It was 680 thousand dollars. We didn't have 680 thousand cents, much less dollars. <laughs> the next step was that needed to come from somewhere. 
Lord, if you wanted to ha- want us to have it, then you're going to have to place that upon Pastor Chuck's heart to just by faith let us borrow it for a while until we can qualify for a loan, which he did. Logic and reason said, buy a tent. Logic and reason said, isn't going to happen. Knowledge said, don't have enough money. You see, God works in mysterious ways. And we don't always understand or know. We need to be open to walking by faith. It doesn't mean that you don't do the spreadsheet. It doesn't mean that you don't have a budget for your house. It does not mean that you don't pay your bills on time. It doesn't mean any of those rational things should you not do. It simply means that when an ex- a situation comes and you don't know that God has said yes or God has said no, you leave it in God's hands until he speaks. And if you truly believe him for who he is, then you move without the answer. Doesn't mean that you run ahead. Doesn't mean you lag behind. It simply means that you trust God and you're willing to take the first step. That's Abraham's life in a nutshell. We can take heart. God may ask us to step out of something that's secure into something that's less secure. He may take us from the familiar into the unfamiliar. He may move us to places that we don't even think we like. God works as God wills. And sometimes, as I've shared with you before, what God is doing, we can't even understand at that point in time. Sometimes God's at work in scrambling the egg before he makes the omelet. And very often that's how he does work, because he's working your life with someone else's life and your situation with their situation, our economy with your individual finances. A sneeze that I was able to suppress. Some kind of divine break, I don't know. But God's at work in those things. What we see as delays, God sees as divine very often. What we see as impossible, God sees as glorifying. What we see as completely unnecessary, God sees as absolutely necessary, and vice versa. Because the substance of that is our faith. And if you really want to walk with the Lord, let me assure you, you're going to be stepping into the unknown at some point in time. Let me assure you, you are going to be a pilgrim and not a tour guide. There's a difference between the two, amen? Tour guide knows exactly where you're going, when you're going to get there, has all the details, and hands you an itinerary, amen? I want you to see this very clearly. That's what a tour guide does. A lot of people think that's Christian life. And quite frankly, I don't know anybody that really walks with the Lord that that's true. You don't get a tour guide. You don't get a manual. You're not going to be told all the steps. You're not going to know that everything's going to be fine. And when it all gets started, you may find out that that your walk that you're walking on includes some stops at places you don't want to go. 
Now let me further give you that example played out a little bit. You, you sign up for a wonderful cruise to the Hawaiian Islands. You'll fly likely to Honolulu and you'll get on a ship there and you'll sail around to the various islands. You'll probably end up in Maui and go to Kauai and probably back to the big island of Hawaii and you'll get all these stops. But I guarantee you there's a few places you don't want to stop. You don't want to go to Ko'olawe. It's a former U.S. military bombing range. There are no plants on the entire island. It is a strip of dirt. It has nothing on it. You see, in God's economy, sometimes he stops at places like that. See, a tour guide, you're going to want to know where you're going. But you're just going to be a pilgrim. A pilgrim was, in this day and time, and still is today, dependent on the goodness of others. And in this case, we're dependent upon the goodness of God. And sometimes he has us dock our ships in places that we don't want to go. But they're some of the most important places that you stop in life. I look back on my life, a lot of the stops that I've made, I didn't even realize it at the time. They were stops of faith. God had to do some work in my life. He needed to uproot the very things that I had laid my fingernails in the deepest to. I didn't want to stop in those places. But just like in the life of Abraham, God has a stop where he knows it's necessary for us to be. Verse 9 And even when he reached the land that God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in a tent, the New Living Translation says. And so did Isaac and Jacob, to whom God both gave the same promise. Anybody else ever tempted to think that God's not going to do what he said he was going to do? I do at times. I think anybody's honest and say yes to that question. You should, because I think it's all of us. Maybe save that family member. Ever had that one? Been praying for decades, and they still won't give their life to Jesus. You gonna just give up? You gonna trust God? Those of you that have children. Maybe they spend a little time in the wilderness. Are you going to disown them? Are you going to keep praying? Maybe your marriage is, is being tested. Maybe it wasn't quite what you signed up for when you said, I do. Maybe it was a little harder than you thought. Are you going to trust God? Got to give up. Abraham got to the promised land, and I would imagine he said something like this. Are you kidding me? This is it? From a human perspective, when he got there, it wasn't the land flowing with milk and honey. It was full of hostile tribes who hated his guts. It was full of war. It eventually became full of famine. His family fell apart. He began to lie about his own wife and his relationship. And eventually, 
the promised land was so great, he left. Now, I love that part. Here's why. Because I can identify with that. Every once in a while, I get to a place and I go, Lord, this ain't what I signed up for. Don't like it. Matter of fact, this tent that I'm living in, and I'm speaking in a metaphor, a word picture, a story. This tent that I'm currently living in, God, I don't like this tent. Matter of fact, God, I hate this tent. Matter of fact, Lord, if I have to stay in this tent any longer, I'm going to burn my tent down. Because I don't like it. And all of a sudden, God speaks to you, but Jeff, you need to live in the tent. You see, what's said here is that he was living like a foreigner in a tent. Not only did he do it, so did Isaac. And so did Jacob. So for three generations, they didn't see what God had promised come to fruition. That's faith. That's trusting God to do what God said He was going to do even after three generations. And I love the fact that it says He lived as a foreigner. Because I can tell you something, when you move to a foreign country, maybe some of you have had that experience. Connie and I have had that experience. When you are a resident of a foreign country, you don't have all the full benefits of living in that country. You're not privy to the things that they do that we enjoy here, like voting. You get second or third class medical care. You do not all have all of your comforts. You've left most of that where you actually reside. And in fact, when you get there, to live as a foreigner is to live in such a way that you can pack up tomorrow and leave. Which we actually did. We lived in Austria. Time to come home. One day later, we were packed and we could be gone. Because we lived as foreigners. We didn't put down roots. We held on lightly to the things of Austria. You see, that's us here on this earth. This earth is not your home. This earth was never designed to be your permanent home. It was designed to be a temporary dwelling place in which you would live out your life and then go to your real home, which is heaven. And so while you're here, you're a foreigner. While you're here, you live in a tent. It's called your body. And that tent lasts maybe 80, 90, 100 years if you live a long time. But that's it. And then when you get ready to pack up, this tent stays here. And the real you goes home. God gave them that promise. Interesting that God gave Abraham, according to Acts chapter 7, no inheritance here, speaking of the earth. Not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. When God made those promises to Abraham, he was childless. 
And he and Sarah were quite a ways past child-rearing age. But he trusted God to walk across 1,200, 1,300 miles of the driest desert on earth to a place that God said would be there as the promised land. And when he got there, what he found wasn't exactly what he was looking for, but he trusted God to live out a vast majority of his life right there where God said would be the promised land, even though he didn't see it. And neither did his son or his son's son. That's faith. That's trusting God. That's believing God for what God says. We'll get a little bit of the life of Isaac and certainly the life of Jacob as well. The success of of the plans uh, in all three of these men was almost in spite of them at times. I love that part. You know why? Because, again, that's just like me. Sometimes God works the things that he does in spite of me. Matter of fact, I'm actually fighting God sometimes. I know you guys don't do that, but I do. I wrestle with God. It's like, God, I've got this covered. It's okay. You can just go back to sleep or whatever you were doing. I think all of us at times, whether we like to admit it or not, believe that we've already heard or we already know, and we just, we're just going to do what God's told us to do. And if it happens to disagree with what God actually tells us to do, we're going to do it our way. These guys, in spite of the fact that they weren't perfect, kept heading the right direction. Huge secret to faith. In spite of the fact that you don't do things perfectly, keep heading the right direction. One of the greatest characteristics of God is what I call his do-over. God allows do-overs. He allows starts and stops. He allows failure followed by success, followed even by failure again. It's called grace. Not to abuse it, not to set out to do that, but never mistake how great your God is. He, he allows for starts and stops. He allows for do-overs. Verse 10, it says, And Abraham did this because he was confidently looking forward to a city with an eternal foundation, a city designed and built by God. It tells us the purpose. Now let me share something with you. Do you think for a moment, if Abraham's trust was on the things of this earth, how long do you think he would have lasted when he got to Canaan? Not very long. If he'd have been looking at the dirt instead of heaven, he wouldn't have lasted five minutes. If he was looking at the pile of rocks there at Shechem, as opposed to heaven, he wouldn't have lasted five minutes. He had his eyes fixed on heaven. He was looking towards things that were not actually in front of him, but yet future. That's called an eternal outlook. That's called a heavenly uplook instead of an earthly downlook. Amen? You know, sometimes we just get so focused on the earth that when we focus on the earth, all of a sudden everything's bad. Amen? You, you look at us and like, oh, Lord, I thought after, you know, I'd be further along than this. That's that wonderful club that I think it, some of the time all of us belong to, Winers for Jesus. He's like, Lord, I can't believe this is happening. He was looking for another city, a better city, a more beautiful city. It's the, it's the city of Revelation chapter 21. For I saw a city on a hill in New Jerusalem, it says there in verse 2, coming down out of heaven. 
that city. See, Abraham realized that when he got to Canaan, that wasn't it either. That is so our life while we're here on this earth. Life's full of disappointment, isn't it? Even in wonderful, great things. I was talking to Pastor Chuck about five or six years ago. We were just kind of talking about all the places and things and stuff that God's done through him, through Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And we're just naming thing after thing, you know, ministry after ministry and person after person and people and, you know, just the things that God had done. And then we started talking about, well, yeah, so-and-so is not walking with the Lord anymore. And, oh, yeah, well, it was that church, but it, it closed its doors. We started thinking about it. In spite of all the wonderful things, it still isn't perfect. Nothing ever is on this earth. It wasn't designed to be. And to some degree, I think the opposite is true. It was designed not to be so that we'd never get so attached to this earth that we'd stop looking forward to heaven. That doesn't mean that life here isn't wonderful at times. It is. And especially here for us in this country. This really is as good as it gets on this earth. But the fact of the matter is, is this is not as good as it gets. It gets a whole lot better. And it gets better after you finish your time here. You see, sometimes we, we lose that eternal perspective. And I think the question begs to be asked, are you, are you looking for something new? Are you looking for what God wants to continue to do? You know, I think one of the problems with church in general is that we get comfortable. We get settled in. We're just kind of, you know, sitting around talking about the goodness of the Lord. And before you know it, a decade goes by. And you're like, what have I really accomplished for, for king and kingdom? Are you, are you looking for that new city? I, I can imagine. Think, now think about where Abraham came from. He came from the most prosperous place on earth at the time. He came from the Chaldean Empire. Their cities were huge. They were beautiful. In the context of the time, they were as modern as things got. They were as wealthy as things got. Uh, that was called, that's the reason that that area of the world is called the Fertile Crescent. It was a wonderful place to be. And Abraham probably gets to, to Canaan and he's like, man, rocks, dirt, no cities, barbarous people, mostly nomadic people, no cities anywhere except the cities of the enemy. Like, I'm going back to Chaldea. It's easy to do. Sometimes we look at where we're at and, and we forget that, you know, even as good as it is, everything we got on this earth one day is going to melt like wax. Amen? It's going to be gone. Make sure we keep our eyes on heaven. Verse 11, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he had considered him faithful who had made the promise. Abraham was so convinced that God was going to do what God promised that he was willing to believe in the impossible. 
And I want to stop for just a second. You need to consider the faith of Sarah here, too. Sometimes we mock Sarah because she was a little a little goofy. She also got the short end of the stick when she married Abraham. Because Abraham wasn't exactly a prize. And it was the faith of both of them. It wasn't just the faith of Abraham. His faith is recorded here and it's emphasized. But make no mistake about it, Sarah was barren. What that simply meant at that time is she was so far past the age of bearing children, it was an impossibility. She may have laughed at God's promise, but the fact of the matter is she had to also believe God, even though she was failed herself. They both believed, and they joined together in that journey of faith. And it's a beautiful picture of marriage. It's a beautiful picture of your marriage filled with the faith of the Lord. Because without that faith, if one person in a marriage has faith and the other person doesn't, you're only going to go as far as the faith of the person who doesn't. Because God's not going to split you up and you know continue, well, you know, Jeff's got faith, but Connie doesn't have faith, so I'm just going to leave Connie in the dust and I'll just send Jeff on ahead to that faithful promised land. That is not what God's going to do. God's going to leave me as a husband to my wife. And by the way, that's most often reversed in our particular situation. But God's only going to move that family as far as the faith of both of them will go. And so if there's lacking faith in one, then God's going to leave them in that place, in essence, until they both come to the same realization, the same place of faith. Because God's not going to split up your marriage to do something with you. I've actually had people tell me that they were told by God to leave their spouse so they could go into the mission field. I've had people, I've had men tell me they were told by God to leave their wife so that they could become a pastor. And trust me, they needed to grow a new head. They were told in no uncertain terms that was not God they were hearing from. Because God's word is very clear. I hate Divorce, says the Lord. God's not going to ordain a divorce so you can become a pastor or go into the mission field. That would be contrary to his direct spoken command of his word. But by faith, you need to trust that God can change that spouse's heart and move that spouse along to that place to where you can both move forward together because that's the only way you're both going. That's faith. Even though Sarah laughed at God, I think Sarah's heart changed. It turned, and she began to see Abraham's faith. That's why you never give up, folks. If you happen to be the one in your marriage that has more faith than the other person, then pray and keep trusting God and believe God to do what God alone can do and wait for God to do it. Move forward where you can, do what you can, work as you can, but let God work. He's got a plan. Promises from God, no matter how unlikely or impossible or improbable they seem, His promises are not tied to circumstances. They're not directly attached to circumstances. God works outside of space and time. Does he work generally? 
through normal circumstances? Yes. But he can also take normal circumstances and cause them to happen in an abnormal way. Like how we ended up in this building. Verse 12. And so a whole nation came from this one man. Think about it for a second. You talk about impossible. They shouldn't have had Isaac in the first place. And then to top that off, God says, well, now you need to kill him. Abraham says, if you say so, God, you've already made one child from Sarah and I. You're either going to make another one or you're going to raise him from the dead. That's faith from this one man, Abraham, who was too old to have any children, made him a nation so that many people, that like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, that there is no way to count them. Pretty incredible legacy of faith, don't you think? But the awesome part of it is, it wasn't like Abraham started off with, you know, with absolutely a perfect score. If you look at the record of Abraham, it was filled with all kinds of steps backwards, if you will. Part of the covenant, remember there in Genesis 22, is indeed I will bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the heaven as the sand of the seashore. That was part of the promise. And God kept that promise. Think about World War II for a second. You realize that we came within about 750 human beings at one point in time, possibly. It's believed at one point in time there may have been as few as 750 Jewish people left on the entire earth. Ends up that that number was probably around a million. But Hitler was so thorough at wiping out the Jews that, it, that God had sheltered away in Russia all kinds of Jewish people, parts of Poland. And Hitler systematically w- was attempting to find them. One of the reasons that he invaded the southern parts of Russia was to get the rest of the Jews. And yet, now there's almost 8 mil- million of them back in Israel. They're surrounded by nations that hate them, who have been attempting to wipe them out for more than 2,000 years, and yet they're still here. Winston Churchill was so convinced that that was a sign from God that he actually said in his memoirs, if ever there was a reason to believe there was a God, it was the existence of the nation Israel. It's Abraham's descendants. There's no explanation for why they're still here other than God said, these are my people. They should have been completely thinned out to where genetically there were no more pure Jews. And yet they're still here and thriving and prospering. Do you know that The Jewish people represent over 48% of all Nobel Prizes. 48%. They've invented a few things that you might be using right now, like the microchip, the cell phone, refining oil into gasoline, things like that. And yet they're one of the smallest populations of people of pure origin on the earth. 
God keeps his promises all through Sarah, all through Abraham. The book of Hebrews reminds us that the hidden things, the unseen truths, very often are more real than the ones that we see. Because you know what I see? Not going to happen. And God says, that's because you're not me. Verse 13, it says, And all these faithful ones died without receiving what God had promised them. But they saw it all from a distance and welcomed the promises of God. And they agreed that they were no more than foreigners and nomads here on the earth, the New Living Translation says. They were so willing to trust God that in spite of what they saw in actuality, they still believed God. God promised it. I believe it. As far as I'm concerned, that settles the matter. And so they were willing to be nomads and foreigners. And for the Jewish people at the time of the diaspora, as they're kicked out of the promised land, as they had no homeland whatsoever, as they ceased to exist as a people, can you imagine? It wasn't just bad for Abraham. It was, it was bad all the way along for the Jewish people. And it remains bad to this day to some degree. And when people talk about what's going on in Iran, with their nuclear facilities, the possibility that they may develop nuclear weapons very soon. There is an enemy that hates them. And if he could be successful, God's word's alive. You ever thought about that part? If ever there were to cease the Jewish people ever again on this earth, you can throw this in the trash. Because it's not true. So how much do you think the enemy wants to destroy the nation Israel? That's why we as a people better not ever give up on them. Because they're God's people. And he made promises to Abraham. And he's going to keep them. But I pity any country that gets in God's way. I don't want to be on that side. Because the last time I looked, every nation that's attempted to wipe out the Jewish people itself has paid a horrible price for that. The vast majority of the Arab world lives in abject poverty to this day. That's why when you ask most Arab-speaking peoples who come from an Arab-speaking nation if they'd rather be in the United States or be in their own home country, guess which place they pick. You see, God keeps his promises. Abraham was being faithful. I think many times we get defeated, we get frustrated. We have our wants and our expectations, and when they don't quite happen the way we think they should happen, then all of a sudden, well, maybe I'll just jump ship. I'll join the other side. That's a bad choice. And it's a painful choice. And it's a choice that God's willing to take you to the woodshed to help you figure out if necessary. Don't make that choice. We become impatient. We want to quit. One of the things that James brings to light is that patience, when it has its perfect work, leaves us complete and lacking nothing. 
you have to have patience to walk by faith. Because God doesn't call you up every morning and go, when do you need that done by? You know, I just, I don't want you to stress over it, so let me get right to it on that. God doesn't check in with you. You're supposed to check in with Him. And, and He might just tell you, wait. Matter of fact, very often He tells you, wait. Because I'm not ready. That circumstance that you think is ready for that to be completed, it's far from ready to be completed. And so you're going to have to wait. And when you wait in hope, you wait patiently. And when you wait patiently, it leaves you complete and lacking nothing. You have God's view on the matter. You have heaven's view on the matter. We know that the world doesn't contain the fulfilled promises of God. This is not it, folks. It's not heaven on earth. There are a lot of places that are really nice. But to use the the phrase heaven on earth is to diminish heaven. It doesn't do justice to heaven. There are things that are good. There are things that are wonderful from a human perspective, but hardly heavenly. Vance Havner, I love him. He's Mr. One-Liner. He said, we're not at home in this world because we're made for a better one. That's it. You ever notice that no matter how good things are, you still whine about it? Seriously, think about it for a second. Has anybody ever been completely satisfied with anything you've ever had? I never have. I've had some things I really like. I've certainly had trips and vacations and gone places. It's like, oh, that was neat. But then I think about, oh, you know, we got this stolen or that broke down or... You know, whatever. You go out you go out fishing and yeah, the company's wonderful and you've eaten way too many snacks with lots of salt in them, but you get out and you don't catch anything. There's always something wrong with everything on this earth. You buy a new car. Thirty seconds after you get it, somebody dumps a shopping cart into the door. Right? Yeah, you're out there and you whack through the first two weeks, you like take it to the car wash every other day. You get in it, you have the new car smell. And then your children leave a burrito under the seat (laughs) while you're away on a trip. All All of a sudden, the mold god comes out. There's, There's nothing on this earth that's ever perfect. Doesn't matter your home. Doesn't matter your cars, vacations. Doesn't matter how perfect your marriage is or your children are. None of it's ever going to be perfect. All of those things are going to disappoint to some degree. It's because you were not created to find your satisfaction here. Your satisfaction is supposed to be the Lord and His heaven. Citizens have rights. Capitalists create control and wealth. Politicians exert power. Majorities elect. Minorities are getting special treatment. Scholars publish things. Athletes do all kinds of competitions. 
All of those things are not perfect. Not one of those things I just mentioned. If you could do all of them well, none of them would be completely fulfilling. Because there's always somebody better at athletics. There's always someone with more power. There's always someone who has a greater sense of, of fairness, and so they get the apathy of most of the people or the the poetry. There's always somebody who excels in some area of life, in some thing that you think you're good at. You're never completely satisfied. Doesn't mean that you're dissatisfied either. It just means that your satisfaction ultimately can't be found here. It's found in heaven. We're just pilgrims. We're just foreigners. And I would encourage you to take a little inventory of yourself. And if there's things that are holding you tied to this earth, then you've got too tight a grip on them. Loosen up a little bit. Let God have them. It can be a lot of things. It can be relationships. It can be money. It can be houses and power and position and passion. All kinds of stuff can, you know, you can get your nails embedded pretty deeply in. It's really fun. One of the funny things about crash landing in an airplane, if there's anything funny about crash landing in an airplane, when I was in that plane in Brazil a year and a bit ago, and we bounced on the runway and crashed. You should have seen. People are, they're not looking outside to see if the engines are on fire, we're going to blow up. They're looking for their iPad. Seriously. They're looking on the floor for their cell phone and all their stuff. It gives you an idea how captivated we can be by junk. I'm kind of thinking if the plane's blowing up, I'd rather not be on the plane and they can keep my iPad, okay? They can keep my laptop and my cell phone. Matter of fact, you can have my wallet, my keys, everything. As long as I get off the plane, I'm doing okay. That's the outlook we need to have while we're on this earth. One day... The plane we're on, called this life, is going to crash, okay? It's, it's going to hit the tarmac and <clears throat> you're going to die. I don't want to bum anybody out, but you're all dead people walking, okay? Some of you a little closer to that day than others. Amen, in Jesus' name. Some of us are in the death spiral already. We're, we're heading towards the earth. But we're all going to crash sooner or later. So what are your concerns? You know, is it the stuff? Is it things? Or is it who you can take with you? Is it the things that God wants to do in your life? Those things matter. It's one of the funny things about that plane crash. I'm listening because there was Germans on there and there was all kinds of Brazilians. People speak in Spanish. Oh, Madre el Dios. You know, there's the mother of God. You know, we're all... Yeah, you're going to meet him pretty soon. <laughs> you got to have an eternal perspective. Abraham had that. You see, when you can look at that, and it says they're foreigners and pilgrims, then you understand verse 14 and why it says what it says. People who say such things, that they were foreigners and pilgrims, show that they're looking for a country of their own. Not the one they're in, one of their own. The one that we really belong in. Or if they've been thinking of the country that they had left, 
They would have had an opportunity to return, but instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. They had their eyes fixed on the right things. And so the fact that they dwelled in tents, the fact that they were sojourners or pilgrims, the fact that they were basically nomads, and again, that doesn't mean that you can't have a nice house. I mean, if you have a nice house, praise the Lord. But that house isn't your home. If you have nice cars, thank you, Jesus. I hope they get good gas mileage. But they're not your home. And you can figure that out real quick, like if you ever have to live in it. It's not your home. It wasn't intended to be a home. Heaven's your home. Abraham was looking for heaven. He wasn't looking for the promised land that was dirt. He was looking for the promised land that was not made with hands in the heavens. You see, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. These people who wandered around had, had come from Mesopotamia. They don't think for a moment that there weren't times. I know that Abraham and Sarah were like, man, do you remember what it was like in Mesopotamia? I mean, those candy dates. You know, I don't know what they liked. They, they did not have in and out, so that's out. I don't, yeah, bummer. I don't know what they were thinking about. You know, Habib's roasted goat stand. You remember that? I don't know what they liked. But I guarantee you there were times as they were sitting there when the enemies were pressing in on them. Man, I sure wish I had a nice leg of Habib's roasted goat. If they weren't looking forward to heaven, if they weren't looking forward to the promises of God, then they would have booked it back to Mesopotamia, back to Chaldea. They would have gone back to Ur. But because they were so trusting God, they stayed put. They said, God sent us here. God loves us. We trust God. We're staying here. And if we don't see it, maybe our kids will. Hallelujah. It's exactly how we have to look at it. Verse 17, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Notice it says God was testing him. God tests us. I, most of us don't like that. I know I don't. I don't like thinking that someone who's infinitely wise puts me to a test. You know what that means? Chances are I'm probably going to fail. He's likely got some things in there that he's trying to show me that I already don't know. Otherwise, he wouldn't test me. God's not a mad scientist, okay? Get over it. God is not like people. People put bugs in a jar and they try and see how long they can survive in there. God doesn't do that. When God tests us, he tests us for a reason. And it's not because he needs the knowledge. <laughs> Boy, I don't know how Jeff's going to do with this. I better test him. I don't know if he knows calculus or not. I better test him. No, when he tests me, it's for me. When he tests me, he's going, Jeff needs to know that Jeff can do this. Jeff needs to trust me more. So I'm going to test him so he sees I'm the only way. And so he allows me to go through things. Testing's not bad. We shy away from tests. You remember when you were younger and there'd be a test and all of a sudden you are just sick as a dog? 
You're sitting there at home. Oh, I think I have a fever and and I'm going to throw up. That's because you didn't want to do the test. Because you weren't prepared. We're still not prepared all the time, but God puts us through those tests so that we can find out exactly where it is those weaknesses are. Finds out where our strengths are. Tests do wonderful things. They, They supplement our normal human knowledge. When God tests us, He puts us outside of our comfort zone, out of that box. He's allowing us to see who we really are. And it's good for us. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac. Though God had promised him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. So he trusted God to raise Isaac from the dead. That's faith. Because up to that point in time, There's nothing recorded in the Bible that God had ever raised anyone from the dead. That's faith. Hope God never asked that of me. I don't know that I could pass that test. I've begged God to spare my son's life. I've laid on the hospital floor begging God, spare my son's life, take me. Not an easy test. The purpose of this account is that there was something better that God wanted to do. And that's what we have to keep in view. God's got something better that He wants to do. And better doesn't necessarily mean more money or bigger or, you know, better in the sense that we think of better. It's better from God's perspective, it's better from a heavenly perspective. And that's where we need to trust God. God, if you want to take this thing from me, I remember as we were, as I I literally put the chain on the gates of my business for the last time. And I knew that God had spoken to me, this is what I had to do. But don't think for a moment, everything within me wasn't going, are you sure? You know, I mean, God, I, I was, you know, we were doing really good. You know, God had to take that business from us. That was his plan. Now, you could think all kinds of reasons. Well, Lord, you know, if you just left those few million dollars there, uh, we could use that for you. All kinds of human thought processes. But God had something better. God wanted to do with me what he's doing with me now, not what I was doing then. So... Could have stayed there trusting the arm of flesh. Could have made some more millions of dollars. Or I could have seen God work. I'll take watching God work. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes we feel like we're out of God's will because difficult things are happening. Don't fall into that trap. Sometimes difficult things happening are the very hand of God. Painful things happening are the very hand of God. Even horrible things happening are the very hand of God. He works that way. He's always worked that way. He's never not worked that way. Let Him work. 
As we trust Him, we see Him. As we trust Him, we see ourselves. And as we walk by faith and not by sight, we're able to see how God wants us to be in this world. And I want to really encourage you. Though it's hard, there's nothing better. It's an adventure. I never know what God's going to do. You know, at my age, I'm kind of thinking, well, Lord, is this it? Is this, is this what you've got? For the, it's just, I'm being honest with you. Or, Lord, are you doing something else? The awesome thing is, for God, you're never too old for God to do something new. You're never too old for God to move in a new way. You're not done, you're not dead until you take your last breath on this earth. And God says, well done, enter into my, my kingdom of rest. Until that time, it's an adventure. It is kind of like camping. The cool thing, and I think the thing that everybody loves about camping, is you can like pick up your world and go somewhere. I love this. One of the reasons that I love backpacking. The fact that I can be one place one day and somewhere somewhere else the next day and see a new sunrise from a different perspective, that's the good part. That's a life of faith. Never be bored. It will always be interesting. And ultimately, you end up right smack dab where God wants you. Walking by faith. Amen? We'll pick up next time in verse 20. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, for your ever-increasing desire in us to, to live lives of faith. Lord, help us with that. Help me with that. Lord, help us to trust you and to not lean on the arm of flesh. And so, Lord, as we commit our way unto you, Lord, I thank you for these faithful saints, Lord, these servants, or these blessed family, brothers and sisters. And, Lord, pray that you would grow our faith, Lord. Help us to rest in you and trust in you. Help us to walk in, in ways that we're willing to be tested, Lord, so that we'll know exactly what we're made of. Lord, so that we can uh, inquire in your holy temple of the next great thing that you're going to do with, with complete and utter confidence. We bless you. Lord, we thank you for your word, for its power. Pray that you'd strengthen us, Lord. Increase our faith. Again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.